0: Good morning, welcome to the show. It's Thursday, August the 24th, coming to you once again from the glorious Navesmire, just a shaft of sunlight poking through some quite dense cloud as I speak to you at the moment, and largely dry night. And before we get stuck into to yesterday's spectacular racing and that victory for Mostadaf in the Judmont International, we need a, an update on conditions and the dilemma that faced the track executive here as to whether to water or not yesterday as things uh, quickened up. I've been speaking to Anthea Lee, the clerk here at York, well, this is what she had to say. First thing,
1: yeah, sure. Morning, Nick. Morning. Um, yes, I mean, you know, we uh, we monitored conditions uh, through the day yesterday and spoke to uh, jockeys and uh, and trainers who, um, you know, that all loved the conditions yesterday, but felt that it was, you know, sort of getting quick enough in, you know, uh, in their words. But um, at that stage, after racing yesterday, the Met Office pops some showers in. We we might have got some uh, um, light rain at um, nine o'clock last night, and and they were saying at that stage that we might have had some rain this morning at sort of 9, 10, 11 o'clock this morning. So, um, but you know, sort of say monitoring the print and uh, and race times, which were fast. Um, you know, we uh, you know we were keen that we would get some, you know, that we would get something, uh, but didn't want to water if uh, you know if there was that threat of rain. So, so we postponed our decision into the night, um, and um, the uh, all the forecast then took that rain away um, and gave us dry conditions. So, uh, ultimately, we put two mills on last night, replacing what we'd lost in evapotranspiration uh, Um, and just trying to replicate the uh, yesterday's conditions so going six exactly the same 6.9 and uh, going description good to firm good in places
0: it's it's interesting actually contrary to some forecasts at the beginning of the week it's a a good bit sunnier now than it was at, at almost any stage yesterday so would you anticipate it drying quite a bit more this afternoon
1: um, I hope not. I mean, it was you know it was quite cloudy and overcast. You know, first thing this morning. Um, you know, the sun's just put in an appearance now. Uh, looking at uh, Met Office forecast, it does say that it will become, you know, cloudy almost overcast um, uh, from eleven. Uh, right through the afternoon and then won't see the reappearance of the sun till six o'clock. And then it's meant to be a really lovely sunny evening on quite a clear night uh, tonight uh, of the forecast. And tomorrow, you know, sort of uh, light, high cloud, a little bit of sun around in the morning. And there is a chance, uh, 30, 40% chance of a light shower, sunny intervals during racing tomorrow.
0: All right, that was Anthea Lee, clerk of the course here. Uh, York, And it is, as, as Anthea predicted, just starting to cloud over again. Um, so it looks like we're going to get much the same conditions as we had yesterday. But, but frankly, you, you weren't exactly paying attention to what the weather was doing because the racing was just spectacular, spellbinding, really. Uh, Lee Mottisad, senior writer in the Racing Post, had the good fortune to be reporting on yesterday's action. Um, I don't suppose your copy took all that long yesterday, did it? It
2: didn't. The, the, only, the only problem um, with a journalistic hat on Nick, is there's an element of deja vu now appearing in, in <laughs> this year's pieces that oh I'm God, writing. Because I'm
0: going to have to write another article about how great Frankie Dottori well, was. Well, I
2: sort of done it on Saturday at Newbury after his Jeffrey Freer uh, stakes success. One ride, one big win, huge public acclaim. And at that point he was looking forward to York with relish. And he will now be looking back on day one at York with relish. Because again, we had one of those performances that immediately triggered in your head the thought, why on earth is he stopping? In fact, after the race, as he was walking from the, the, the victory podium, the price podium, back to the weighing room, he was walking with myself and our, our media colleague um, and friend of the pod, Liz Price. And we were both talking to Frankie. Uh, at what point MV Magnet walked across to Frankie, having obviously just seen Paddington beaten by Mossadaff and Dottori. And uh, Frankie in a, in a quiet voice said, I'm sorry, to which MV Magnus said, you shouldn't be retiring. And I think, here say all of us as well, mm. but um, as I said in the, in the piece today, he, he is following that old showbiz adage, leave them wanting more. Mm. And he's doing that while reminding us, not just what a great showman he is, but what a great jockey he is, because that was a tactical tour de force. It was built around conversations on Tuesday with John Gosden, with Richard Hills, and with Jim Crowley, they worked out that with Paddington getting weight, they couldn't afford to give Ryan Moore an easy lead. And Frankie knew full well that on the figures, he was on the best horse in the race. We made that point on your Racing TV programme on Sunday that Mosterdaff was the best mm. horse on the figures. He wasn't going in there as a wild no-hoper. And they, made, they, they rode that horse to give him absolutely the best chance of beating Paddington, and
0: it worked. And it was just a question, really, of whether Mosterdaff was a bit of a one-hit wonder. Yeah, we knew he was a good horse, we knew what he did against inferiors in Saudi, but was that Prince of Wales' is real? Yes, it was, I think was the resounding answer. Notwithstanding Frankie's well-documented and quite rightly praised tactics yesterday, do you think Paddington could have beaten him whatever the circumstances?
2: I think Paddington...
0: I didn't ran... even finish second, Paddington, in no, the No,
2: I think Paddington ran... Slightly below his best yesterday, but I'd only say slightly. I think on our figures he's three pounds below his his peak figure in in 2023. He has run a very good race, and there was a moment, maybe a furlong out, when you wonder whether Mustardaf might might fold. But realistically, Nick, I never thought Paddington was going to win that. You know, he's always had that that strange head carriage. The head goes to one side under pressure, and when he's winning, you almost don't notice yeah. as much as when he's not winning. Having said that, the head was to one side, but he was still going forward. I don't think there was any question that Paddington was putting it all in. And Aidan O'Brien, as Aidan does, he's, he's, he's very good after a defeat. And he, he explained why he thought the horse had been beaten. Maybe the elastic band had been stretched too far. Maybe that's right. My hunch at the minute is he was just beaten by a better horse.
0: So what I, I took away from the race, again, we should mention Nashua. What a super race she yeah, ran. Yeah. Quite a few little things to take away from the race on an equine and human Standpoint. The horses, first of all. It wasn't immediately obvious to me where either of these horses would show up next. Mm. The Irish Champion Stakes is very quick off the bounce. Uh, Aidan immediately ruled that out for Paddington. Um, John Goslin says Mostadath needs space between his races. Mostadath also needs fast ground. Yeah. Uh, so the British Champion Stakes, you're up against it there, aren't you? You are. So where, where, if anywhere, wow. are these two horses going to be seen? I, I, w- I was
2: pondering this, Nick, on my on my drive to the and I this morning. It's only actually a three minute drive, so I didn't do much pondering. Um, but it did strike me that if I was uh, Sheikh Hissangas Gold and John Gosden for Mosterdaff, I'd be thinking Breeders Cup Turf.
0: Well, of course, he got a winner, and you're into the Classic, didn't he? I mean. Is it about time somebody, somebody rolled those big dice and put a decent horse in the Classic again?
2: Well, it would, be a, it would be a bold move, to be fair to Shadwell. They often are bold. If they're not that bold, then I think the turf is... I don't think he's as good over a mile and a half as no. he's ever a mile and a quarter, but you know better than I do. Whizzing around the bends at Sandronita, you can probably get away
0: with it in a way that you couldn't do in a mile and a half turf race over here. Yeah, possibly. Possibly. Though I, don't, I just don't know whether that... That would necessarily be his thing, and it's it's still twelve furlongs. Yeah. Um, or do they just think basically? I'm, let's look towards next year and Saudi and, and Dubai. Well, that th- that I'm sure is in is in the planning, and and I got a strong vibe when he won the neon. Turf last year that they were going to go back and have a crack at the Saudi Cup.
2: Yeah, and it's twenty
0: million dollars, and they say you know the dirt track's a bit more forgiving there, and it's a bit more suited to turf horses. And he did it with Mishriff who'd won this race. So I, oh, well, actually, Mishra won this race afterwards, didn't he? But you know what I mean. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I did, I wondered about that. But the fact that they're even prepared to run him on any sort of dirt made me think. Well, actually, the Classic Breeders' Cup Classic is not a terrible idea, particularly this year when the cupboard is practically bare. In the US, yeah, absolutely, and of course, you,
2: you've always haven't. You, you've got that instant excuse if the horse gets beat, well, he just hasn't handled the mm. surface. So you could easily have a go at that race. I think, in general terms, I nick the as a result of um, what we've got now in in Saudi Arabia and uh, De Bolo, De has been around for some time now. The flat calendar is pretty much a rolling twelve month calendar, and if you don't have a heavy autumn campaign with a horse you know he's going to be staying in training it's not really a big deal I mean we know what happened when Mossadegh ran in the Prix de L'art de Triomphe you know he was a 56 to 1 shot who finished 20th of 20 on heavy ground um that tells you what Mossadegh doesn't want to do what Mossadaff Moss, Mossadaf does want to do it's, it's actually it's actually quite a small circle yeah, when, when you look it. at what he needs this is it you know you but 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 if you if you've done what he's done already this year, if you've won a Prince of Wales Stakes and the Judmont International, you don't really need to do any more. If they didn't have his ideal conditions or what they perceive to be his ideal conditions uh, for the rest of this year, you could easily just
0: say, well, let's listen, let, let's give him a break now and bring him back for Saudi. A couple of other things, um, Frankie is always getting quite close to three hundred Group or Grade One winners. It's way more than anyone else ever in history, anyway. I, I'm, I can't quite work out how many it is. I think he asked me the other day to find out. Do, do you know? I don't know. What number did you get to? It's t- I think it's around the 290 mark.
2: It's, clo- uh, it's close. 10 between now
0: and the end I don't, of the year. It may be more than that. It may be, I don't know, but it's around there, I think. That's a big push, isn't it, to get to 300 It might be in the now? low
2: 290s. Okay. Well, I'd say if he sticks to his current plan and, and says goodbye to us in December, probably unlikely... Um, it depends how how much of a numbers nut he is. Now, if we were talking about Sir
0: Anthony McCoy. He's, at, at in, career, in, he's, which... he's interested in it. Yeah, okay. He's interested enough to have bothered to ask me to find out.
2: Now, of course, those things with that sort of record, with the best in the world, it's probably the, the only person it really does probably interest is the person involved himself. <laughs> I'm never quite sure that people uh, outside of the individual's concern get wildly bothered about, oh, I've done 200 this, I've done 100 this, I've done 1,000 this. Um, I think it's more about performance as an overall legacy.
0: Okay, how bothered do you think Aidan O'Brien is about winning the British Trainers' Championship? Because jo- did John and Thady Gosden just bag it yesterday with that one too? I suspect they did,
2: yeah. I mean, and John and Thady Gosden have got some big stars they've not turned out at, at this meeting. Um, I, I suspect they'll have a very good autumn and I think Aidan would have to have a... Spectacular autumn and when you think that we're going into a period of time now when we've got um Town and the Curra, the Irish Champions Weekend, we're looking at Arc weekend, there are so many big events now that will be taking place away from British race courses. There aren't that many major opportunities. Mm. You've got Doncaster, you've got those back end meetings at Newmarket, you've got Kitco British Champions Day. There's not there aren't really many chances no. now to bridge a huge deficit.
0: Well, the other big story yesterday also concerned a retirement of a, a champion jockey, a dual champion jockey. Uh, Paul Hannigan announced that on Friday, on Wooden Sun, he would be having his final ride. That ride, like so many through his career, comes for trainer Richard Fahy, with whom he's almost been inextricably associated from the very early stages of his career. I, I spoke to Richard earlier on today and asked him how he felt when he heard the news that Paul Hannigan was going to retire at the end of this week.
3: Sort of, I, I sort of had caught wind of it. Well, I, I knew because he's riding for me on Friday. He wanted to go out on a ride for me, but uh, yeah, look, it's 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 probably probably the right thing to do. Uh, you know, when you're thinking about retiring, you need to retire. Um, but I, it'll be different, you know. You know, when we, we've had 17 years together, I think. You know, on and off, I think even longer, you know. Uh, and as you say I think he rode me nearly a thousand winners so uh, you can imagine uh, the, there's 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 a lot of water going under the bridge over them here but uh, look I'm just delighted I, I always feel these professional sports people when when they make that decision and finally 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 decide to do it I, I think it's a relief for them maybe you know so uh, but it's interesting to see how he gets on I'm sure he'll do well no matter what he does you know
0: Richard, how how clearly can you recall the first time you and you and Paul met? How 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 you came across him really, and and helped to launch his career?
3: To be honest, he was um, he was sent to me by Malcolm Jefferson. Uh, he went to Malcolm Jefferson's, believe it or not, to be a jump jockey. Uh, and uh, I remember meeting Malcolm on the gallops one day, and he said, "Look, I've got a young kid here that probably needs to be in your yard." Uh, and to be fair to Malcolm, he gave him a. Reference and Paul was very, very young at the time, and to be fair to Malcolm, he got him spot on. He said, "Look, he's a proper little gentleman." I think in Malcolm's words was was an old fashioned uh, apprentice type type thing, which you know he. Uh, so he came, he came to us, and to be fair to me, he was sort of sort of second to Robert Winston was here at the time. I think he was champion apprentice and. And he never moaned, never did anything. Just got on, got his head down and never missed coming in, and was always neat and tidy. And I always knew that if if I was going to keep keep an apprentice, because I'd had a few champions uh, that, that Paul was the one there. You could just tell very early on that he was a, a team player and 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 a great way about him. And the owners loved him, you know. So it made it, made it very easy to, to to keep him on as a stable jockey when he when he lost his claim, but. Probably the making of him was he, he had to wait a year or two while sort of Robert went through his his, his claim there and then Robert shifted on and, and then Paul slipped in. Uh, I wouldn't say into someone else's shoes. He, he, he made the shoes himself and he slipped in and we, we just got on great for years, you know. Uh,
0: and what do you think made him achieve what he achieved? What were his qualities that that enabled him to be a, a dual champion jockey, to get a job with with Sheik Hamdan?
3: Well he was very hungry, and, and to be fair uh, at the time we sort of get photo finishes, he was always on the right side of them, you know he knew where the winning post was, and uh, you know in, a, in, a, in his in his real prime there he, he, he very seldom got beat in a, in a tight finish uh, and and I think I think knowing where the winning winning line is is huge for jockeys. I'm not picking on jockeys there, but some of them seem to think it's 100 yards further down the track than it is. But it's it's natural ability to do that. All the great jockeys, the Tories, the Ryan Moores, and all them, they they know where the winning post is. And I think Paul's Paul's one of his best attributes was he he, he knew where the winning post was.
0: Richard, your your eyes are always open in the, in this game. Nothing much surprises you. Probably relatively little phases you, but. How how much did it upset you to see Paul really struggling with that with that injury late on in his career?
3: I, I knew he was in trouble, um, if, if, if if that makes sense, because I'd known him for so long, um, and it's it's like everything else. You sort of know. Uh, probably probably I knew before Paul, if that makes sense. Uh, I knew I knew he wasn't right uh, and. Uh, it, it just made it difficult in the last couple of years there to, to see it. But it's like everything else. When when you you're, you're, you're built as a sports person and a machine that wants to win, you, you probably deny deny the truth a little bit. But look, I'm just delighted for him now. You know, I'm delighted that he's coming out in one piece, and he's had a fantastic career now. You know, he's written an awful lot of winners, and uh, in in a sport that's very very tough. There's not many. To do what Paul Hannigan's done, so uh, I'd say you can count them in two hands now, jockeys that have done what he's done. You know,
0: is, is there a, a, a particular day that stands out as being being a, a very special one for for both of you? Not, I mean, not necessarily the highest profile winner, but but one that one that you'll you'll take with you. <laughs>
3: so many, if that makes sense. And as, as a trainer, you never really get chance to ponder on it. And funny enough, somebody asked me the same question yesterday. And uh, I would, it's probably a high-profile winner, but I think the the first time I sort of felt I'd achieved something as a trainer was probably when Wooden Bassett won the, the Lagadere at uh, at Longchamp. You know, I, I, I remember going home that day thinking, God, I, 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 I did something good today. And uh, I know Paul was chuffed with that winner, and it it, it it was a good day. It was the first time I felt I was a trainer. So uh, I would have to say wouldn't Bassett win in the Lagadere at, uh, at Longchamp.
0: Richard, thanks for talking to me. You're a gentleman. Thanks. Richard Fahey there with a, a tribute to the riding skills of Paul Hannigan who, as he said, had ridden him over a thousand winners, which is a remarkable partnership. And they, as I said to, to Richard in the interview, Lee Motter said, there was a, a period of time when the pair of them were, if not unbeatable here, at least had a pretty tight stranglehold on the place
2: yeah that's right they they had one of the uh, longest and most enduring relationships in flat racing one that yield yielded an enormous amount of uh success nick including out on the race course that we're looking out across now the knavesmeyer um now we, we we know that that relationship hasn't been as strong in in the last couple of years paul's only had two rides for richard fahey this year um but I think it's a lovely thing that he will be signing off on a horse trained by his long-time ally. A horse who has a a big chance of winning as well. I think there's clearly uh, sadness that Paul is, is retiring. And sadness that he's retiring partly because his body is telling him to retire. Yeah. He's, he's experiencing a lot of pain. But equally... You look back to what happened in February 2020. I was just looking out here, Nick, across a piece I did with Paul in 2021 after he won the Norfolk Stakes. At that point, he reflected on what happened at Newcastle in 2020 when he feared for some time that he could have been paralysed by a fall. Um, he spoke about how one of the first things that came into his head was Freddie Taliki. Um And he said to me, and we talked about the fall, it was a bad one. I fractured my T3, T4 and T6 my T six vertebra was probably crushed altogether. Now to have gone through that and to have salvaged any sort of future career is remarkable in itself. I can absolutely see why now he's deciding the time is right to stop. And although he is stopping sooner than he might otherwise have wished, he can look back on a career in which he established himself not just as a dual champion jockey, but as one of the most respected and admired and liked members of the Wayne Room. He's a decent guy and perhaps more than anything that's something we should remember.
0: Well yesterday's uh, Tattersall's Acom Stakes was won by uh, Indian Run who is trained by Steve Johnson-Horton and runs in the silver and gold colours of the of the Bronte collection, uh, a group uh, of uh, local luminaries, you might put it, um, compiled by Steve Parkin from Clipper Logistics, very prominent owner with a whole stack of runners this week at his beloved York. Uh, Joe Foley is very much at the right hand of, of Steve with his racing and uh, bloodstock interests, and joins me now. Joe, how big a deal for, for the Bronte collection was, was that victory yesterday?
4: Yeah, um, thanks, Nick. That was a big deal. Um, you know, most of the guys in Bronte, there are 15 guys, some great, uh, fun fellows, but a lot of them are based around Yorkshire. not of them now. Um, uh, but it gave them a huge amount of pleasure. Number one, they were nearly all there, uh, and obviously to win a race like that, a prestigious race like that, um, at a track York and the Eber week. I mean, that was, that was James come true territory for for most of them. So yeah, they had a they had a
0: brilliant day. Now, I I was walking out and somebody said to me, "You've got to tip your hat to Joe Furley because buying this horse was not an immediately obvious thing to do." I I think the dam had had a stack of runners and, and not much of a, a production record. What what made you what made you take the plunge and say, do "You know what? I'm going to give this one a go." Uh, it's easy to say that but
4: you know he was a gorgeous looking horse Um, he was consigned by a good friend of mine Timmy Hillman from Castle Dillon Studied it was a good job and he made sure I looked at him Uh, but I had a lot of time at that sale last year and I looked at nearly every horse in the sale so that that helped me because on pedigree I'd say somebody some people pedigree him out as they say because the dam hadn't done a lot uh, prior to this fella Uh, he was a spectacular individual absolutely beautiful if anybody had had seen this fella they would have put him on their list um it, it wasn't that difficult to buy him beautiful tempered horse as well i went back i remember going back to see him for a second look and he was fast asleep in his box and took a lot of rousing to get up and a real cool character which i, uh, which I really like in a cult like him so it wasn't that difficult uh, to buy him
0: and he, he won yesterday quite impressively he's another graduate from from this Somerville sale i described the Tassel Somerville sale as, a, as a, bit, a bit of a cult sale but uh, I'm not, I'm not sure how much longer you'll be able to get get horses so so reasonably priced because everyone's cottoning, cottoning onto it now. Ah uh, yeah it's a good sale you know some vendors put their nice
4: horses in it has to do with the Doncaster sale as well but some of the sales going up very quickly for ourselves and fair play to them to put it in a good uh, slot in the in the calendar uh, there were some very nice horses there last year I think we bought five we bought golden trick from that sale as well. That that kindly won the Ballyhane for me in Nace. Uh, so so that was good as well. So we've had great luck from it last year. Golden Trick incidentally goes to try and win the actual of the race in Newmarket next Saturday. So uh, you know good prize money in that race as well. So yeah, delighted to have uh, been at the Somerville There's some nice years last year. You know, I'm sure to have gotten uh, at least two nice horses out of it. So we'll
0: surely be going back uh, next September. Yeah, Golden Trick runs in those in those Bronte colours for uh, Hugo Palmer and Andrea Atzani Andrea, who's who's riding at the, the top of his game as he is about to exit for Hong Kong. I, I was talking to Eve Johnson Horton quite a bit yesterday about about Indian Run and about the Dewhurst and about whether it, it might just fit perfectly. And she she really believes it it could. What what's your feeling about how he's going to stack up in a race like
5: that? Uh, She's
4: loved him before he ran. Um, you know. We liked them all the way through, a pre-trainer liked them plenty. Uh, Adam Kirby actually helped uh, pre-train him before he went to Eve, and uh, Adam's a very shrewd judge, so he liked them. So we, we had a sort of spotlight on him before you got him, and she immediately liked him and stepped him forward. He's a wonderful trainer. It's our first year here uh, with horses which, with Eve. We've got you know, two coats with her this fella who only yesterday in government call who won the horn blower stakes in Bippon last weekend. So she's got a cracking record for us. <laughs> we'll be giving her more, that's for sure. But um, before this call ran, she, I remember she calling me one day and saying, oh, like, I like this horse a lot, this could be good. So, you know, we went for uh, that big maiden in, in Ascot with all the prize money and he won it impressively. Danny was impressed with him that day. So, you know, the Aikham was our next spot for him, stepping up in trip and grade. Uh, we thought that was a perfect spot for him. So Eve rang me last week and she said, Dewhurst is closing in two hours. What do you think, should we put him in? And I said, Eve, you, you know what it takes to win the Jewhurst. She won it with Tutsal. And I said, you, to your call, we'd be happy to put him in. And if he won the Aikham impressively next week, we'd be very disappointed if he wasn't in the Jewhurst. So we went, let's go. So uh, we're delighted we have him in there. Danny said yesterday we'd like to give him a bit of time, he's he's still backward, he's a little unfurnished, he's a tallish horse, so we just don't want to rush him back, we were thinking of the Champagne in Doncaster, but I think we'd like to give him a little time, I know the Dewhurst is stepping up to Superstar Championship territory, but you know, as Eve said this morning, we've taken a lunge forward every time with this coach, why don't we do it again, and you know, I I think we will, uh, all being well obviously, Take another lunge forward and 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 head for the Jewhurst And you know, there's another race we'd love to target as well after that, which is the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. Um, Steve in particular likes uh, likes the uh, the Breeders' Cup uh, trip, we were mm. second in uh, uh, with dramatising it last year. And can you imagine those 15 Bronte guys uh, in America
0: for the <laughs> weekend? No, I, I can't. To be honest, it's gonna be it's gonna be a nutty trip for them in Santa Anita as well. If uh, if he goes there, uh, could this week get better still with, you mentioned Dramatised. Is, is she the forgotten filly in the Nunthorpe, do you think?
4: Oh, we hope so, you know, in, in, uh we fancied her strongly for the King's Dance. She did train, training very strongly into it. She was impressive, you know, on, on maybe a favoured uh, draw in the Temple, but that was her first run back since the Breeders' Cup, but she was impressive that day. Uh, I think she got stuck on the wrong side, on this side, she had a draw, she had no cover, uh, she had nothing to follow, Danny looked up uh, two fernums out and said uh, uh, I was 100 yards behind the ones on the far side, plus the ground was quite sticky on the first day of Ascot, she's a very fast ground filly, um, so I think we'll all have to just, you know, as I say, draw a line for that one, um, she's been working very well, we're hoping the rain stays away here from York. Um, you know we quietly fancy fine chances. she's turned 11 to 1 but you know we'll see on friday with her with hopefully her, her perfect conditions we'll see how good she is but we still have hope that she she could be a group 1 sprinkler for us
0: but let's see on friday uh, joe foley there uh, talking about the claims of indian run i i wouldn't be put i wouldn't put anyone off having a few quid on this horse for the jewhurst lee uh, because i just think the race could just i'm I'm not I'm not absolutely convinced we'll see we'll see the very best ballydoyle juvenile necessarily in the race no i don't
2: think we'll see city of troy i think we'll see um his friend henry but i don't yeah. think we'll see city of troy and he was a good winner yesterday i mean goodness me i i can't recall many um uh juveniles who've gone into a group race um, with us as, as much uh ha ha about them as the as the favorite whose whose name briefly escapes me cogitate uh, no the um the the Wathnan. ballymount boy yes um, i mean his trainer was so bullish and enthusiastic about him. And I think yeah. he's run his race. Um, the he... ground
0: might have been a bit quick for Valleyman, but uh, I thought he the ground okay. quite hard.
2: But he's still run a big race. Um, Indian Run has, in the end, won it decisively. I think he's a lovely horse. And it was another reminder of just how good a trainer Eve Johnson-Horton is. Mm. And when she gets the talent, when she gets the raw material, she's a proper trainer. Yeah,
0: it sounds like she's going to get a load more as well. Now, um... <laughs> who was the cricketer that was part of the was part of, yeah, was this, part of the winning syndicate. this is most unfortunate this is most unfortunate
2: <laughs> i have to now I should, I should preface this by saying that i i did enjoy a lot of the ashes series but i enjoyed it on test match special i'm a radio boy um, and therefore you don't see the pictures and i must admit nick i'm not a cricket aficionado therefore when i saw the press pack interviewing um a, a a sports person with with ginger hair and a beard and i heard him talking about cricket i thought oh i know who that is so i walked across to your racing tv colleague Lydia his and said you might want to know that ben stokes is apparently one of the winning owners I then walked across to you to impart the same information
0: in case you wanted to do a nice interview. And I said, oh, that's funny, because so is Johnny Bearstow."
2: And at that point, it, it dawned on me that the man I thought was Ben Stokes turned out to be Johnny. I should say, I, I did say to Lydia, had it been in both them, I would have recognised him. Yep. Or Mike Gatting, that's my era. But no, it's easy to get confused, isn't it? <laughs>
0: anyway Johnny Vesto is part of the uh, syndicate thank god you got to Lydia in time otherwise she'd have gone straight in there Ben
2: well L- Lydia, Lydia was as blank as I was on, 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 on the on the cricketing scene I mean for all, for all we know Ben Stokes was sat
0: at home thinking my god I wish I had a share in that one well I wish I had a share in yeah. the horse anyway there was it was a whole load of L- Yorkshire luminaries in that did you see you turn around and you recognise just about every, every one of those go victims. on give us some well else. there was um, I'm pretty sure I saw Gary Verity right. Sir Gary Verity
2: welcome to Yorkshire yeah. toward, toward the
0: Yorkshire France. Yeah, um Bearstow obviously. Yeah. Who was the bloke that that had all the horses for ages from uh, Stobart? Andrew, Andrew Tinkler. Tinkler. Yeah. He was in it. Um obviously Steve Parkin. Yeah. And his daughter.
2: Goodness.
0: Um and uh, there were there were two or three others. You it was a it was a a, a well known clutch, put it that well, way. Well
2: that's good because we uh, we normally have a very good Yorkshire day on day one of the Ebor meeting. they often win that sprint that starts the meeting mm. so we've gone two races and no Yorkshire trained winner so good that there was a Yorkshire connection it wasn't just Yorkshire yesterday though Nick we were, we were talking off air about how um, there was a massive international flavour to yesterday I was walking around the, the paddock after the big race and I heard a, a hello Lee turned across it was Chris Waller um, trainer of, of, of my favourite ever racehorse Winks um, and he was here for a a very very short visit. He's in Newmarket this morning, looking at the the gallops. We had Charlotte Mills representing uh, Mooney Valley. Yeah, yeah. Lee Jordan's over here for the VRC. You're doing some work for the VRC this week. Yeah, there's a big, week. big.
0: Um, five, five, I think four or five people from the Victoria Racing yeah. Club here. Mooney Valley, the Cox Plate. Uh, Josh Christians here, of course, from the yeah. Breeders' Cup. Yeah, I mean, it's great to see. Tried that to get him on the show this morning, but a little bit early for him.
2: Tomorrow, maybe. Yeah, yeah possibly tomorrow, right? tomorrow. Great to see that this. I, I think, again, we're saying on the programme on Sunday, Nick, I think the the stature of the Ebor Festival is growing from one year to the next. Um, and for those of us who've always adored this place and this meeting, it's a wonderful thing to see.
0: Now, the victory of designer in yesterday's Phillies Handicap was her second such victory in the same race in as many years. And it was significant not just because... Uh, she won back-to-back runnings of the same race at York. But because she's by Pearl Secret, and Pearl's Secret is the last remaining descendant of the Byerly Turk standing at stud in the UK. Now, I need to st- stress, for those of you who aren't familiar, all thoroughbreds descend from three original horses, the Godolphin Arabian, the Dali Arabian, and the Byerly Turk. So this is, this is the last strand in the UK of one of those three crucial... Um, forebears of all modern thoroughbreds and pearl secret stands at norton grove stud here in yorkshire jessica lingwood has been on the show with us before Uh, but jessica it's it's almost as though you've got a very precious ming vase in your hands and you know you can't you can't drop that you can't drop this this crucial bloodline how important are all these victories for for horses by pearl secret it's been an absolute brilliant
5: year for so far. he's Doing really well and just starting to catch people's attention finally. Um, Designer yesterday was a brilliant win for us. And we had Tears of a Clown last week was reared in a listed race. So that's his first real big black type kind of for him. He's been on a real roll. We've had lots of handicap wins this year. There's Farnaby Pearl. um, The other one was a Bucklesby. So Mm. that was a really big thing having a two-year-old come out so early in the season and just setting him alight, light, really. Um, it's just keeping that bloodline going and hopefully bringing more interest to get more of the barley turk out there, because there isn't many left.
0: And and just to explain why that's important, is it is it about sort of promoting the diversity of the breed? I'm, I'm guessing pretty much any mare can come to Pearl Secret.
5: Yeah, pretty much. Um, he's got no thin hill line in him. Um, so, yeah, he's an open canvas to anything that really wants to come. If they want an outright sprinter, he's your horse. He's ah. is, is fast, he five furlongs and proves he can breed the winners of speed and a bit of distance.
0: And Jessica, Susie Pritchard-Jones is absolutely passionate about uh, the Barley Turks, so much so that she's written a book uh, about the uh, descendants of the horse, and I know is trying to put together some syndicates and proceeds of which are going to go to, to good causes and uh, cancer trials. If she can get it all together in the, next, in the next few weeks, I know she's enlisted the help of Sam Hoskins with that. I mean, how much did you know about you know, the, the importance of, of keeping this, this bloodline going when you, when you acquired the horse? Um, to be honest, we
5: didn't have a great deal of information about the ballot lines um susie came along to us and probably opened up our eyes more because she came and see saw him two years ago i think it was now um and she left us one of the books so we read really into her book and started doing more research after that and we've been helping her along with the page that she's just set up on facebook for the conservation well trying to work hand in hand with her on that behalf
0: Well, you'll have heard quite a few times during the course of this season uh, about the new pub here at York, which is the Flying Frankie in honour of, well, who else, of course. Uh, and it is just in on your right-hand side as you walk down towards the paddock area behind the grandstand. And it is operated by Thiexton's. Simon Thiexton is a fifth generation uh, supremo of the famous uh, brewery. And I, you've got a whole range of your, your beautiful beers for me to taste at this... <laughs> unearthly hour of the morning now he normally brings me champagne neil Phillips, simon so this is this is new for me uh, this early the only time i normally see people having a pint at this time is in sort of stansted airport or something well welcome
6: to the real world Nick. This, is where, this, is where, this is where it really matters people drinking a bit time of time day no we are um, obviously thrilled to bits uh, that york racecourse invite us to take what was an unused part of their stand
0: here. it looks fair it looks great i've got to say yeah you've I- done it up so nicely
6: well, we, it's just such a good opportunity. We've been selling our beer here at York Races for many, many years. And we have a very close working relationship with the authorities here. So it was an absolute pleasure for us to take on this opportunity. And uh, I'm delighted to say it's been, I think this is the second year we've been, we've been doing it. And it's really, really successful.
0: So you fifth generation. So when... Yeah, so when wow. did um, Theakston's begin, and who began it?
6: It was my great-great-grandfather in 1827, 1827. so we came out towards our 200th anniversary, so we're getting excited about that.
0: And oh, what was he before he was a brewer?
6: He was a farmer. Right. He was a farmer in a place called Borthamask, which is a small hamlet near Massam in North Yorkshire.
0: Right. Um, and and you, do, you know, I mean, do you know enough to know what made him sort of change direction?
6: Well, I think it was, a, it was a time of great economic uncertainty in the UK. Um, the, uh, there were some legal uh, acts of Parliament that went through and called the Closures Act, which made things difficult for farmers to graze land on open pasture land. And I think the financial pressures and a big family meant that he was looking for another source of income. So he took the chance to take the pub called the Black Boleyn in Massam, And in those days, um, landlords had to brew their own beer. And it was that that he discovered his true meta in life.
0: You're going to educate me now. What have we got here, and how would you describe it to a a connoisseur of ale?
6: Well, this is at 3.8% ABV. Thieksen's best bitters, our Mm -hmm. biggest-selling beer brand, by a long way, and we've been bringing it well since we started the company, basically.
0: Um, it is So this the, is the OG as my kids would say.
6: It's the no, it's the alcohol, A B V, the alcohol by volume. OG is a bit I'm gla- <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm, glad you did, I'm glad you didn't understand that <laughs> yeah, no, either. No, no. Right. So, so a bit but the point is that this is the quintessential English session bitter. And um, it's sold all over the UK. It has been for many, many years. And um, if there was a standard by which other brewers measure their best bitter brands, this would be the one. And it's drunk. And, <laughs> Cheers, uh, I mean, Cheers. We're, we're drinking our uh, health here. Cheers, gentlemen. Mm. My, my voice might turn funny now. Mm, OK,
0: awesome. now, I'm starting, so now I'm starting to understand a bit.
6: Yes, yeah, so you've got this lovely um, blend of malted barley, the sweetness of malted barley, plus the nice subtle hops of Fuggle and Bramling Cross, which make the beer just so refreshingly balanced. and. Um, and thirst quenching.
0: certainly is. I, I, I'm guessing that given that this is your pub, your beer, we're in Yorkshire, you know, it's the same principle people say, well, y- you're going to taste nicer Guinness in Ireland than you do anywhere else or whatever. Is it the principle that you, you're actually going to get a more pleasurable experience drinking this product right here, right now, than you might any other place?
6: Well, I do think drinking beer is not just about the sensation of drinking beer, it's about a lightning conductor to where you are and who you are, and it's the company that you keep and it's a place where you drink it. It all makes you feel as though you're part of something. Mm. And so beer is very much part of you know, our lives, our collective lives. And the closer you are to home, of course, the, the more intense that sensation is.
0: Well, Simon, thank you so much for talking to me today. Um, am I going to taste do we, do one other? Do Neil, Neil's, here, Neil's here with us. Well, we can we can try more Let's try some more
3: peculiar. And just what a... That's such a lovely beer. And one thing I just wanted to ask about as well, just cask, because obviously, cask conditions, you've got your own full-time cooper, haven't you, as well? Yeah, indeed, yes. And just talk us through that, and just in terms of the whole cask and getting casks and keeping them.
6: Well, it's, it's, cask is obviously the traditional method of, uh, of uh... storing beer, and well, actually, not so much storing, but delivering beer and serving from it. And of course, in the days before metal, the only thing we had was wood. So, it's a tremendous skill to take oak casks, well, take oak and, um, from planks of wood, or from trees basically, and make them into casks. And so, our cooper, Ewan Finlay, has the skill to actually take trees of oak and convert them into casks. Uh, and the thing about casks is that they are uh, constantly used to deliver beer from the brewery to the pubs um, and returned on a weekly basis. Um, because of secondary fermentation in beer, because it's real ale. It has to take up to 20 pounds per square inches of pressure. So it's actually a very um, splendid thing. So they are you know, really, yes. really good. Yes, they're beautifully made.
0: Well, so, so I, I'm going to have a sip of old Peculiar, and then I've got to run because I've got to go and see the man after whom this good. boozer is named. Well, that's a great bit of
3: interesting content Cheers. about the cast. Yes. It's definitely. A lot of people wouldn't know that. Yeah, well, it's, it's,
6: it's, our, our visitor centre is open all year round. So if people mm. want to come and actually see how we make casts, they can come up to Massa and to our brewery, it seeks, and, and see themselves.
0: So, what it, what is different about Old Peculiar compared to the best?
6: Old Peculiar is a different malt, grist. So we use different kinds of malt, particularly dark malt, crystal malt. Mm-hmm. Uh, we use the noble Fuggle hop uh, predominantly, and Progress and Challenger, uh, which are bitter hops mm. in it. But it is the alchemy of our brewery. It's the vessels, it's our twin strain yeast that um, imparts its own characteristics. And there's this wonderful sort of mystery mm. that comes from putting these things together in Arboria master that produces this stuff. And um, Oberkula is sold throughout the UK again and all over the world. And it has some, I think, magical properties. It's delicious.
0: Simon, thank you very much. And I, I have to give a shout-out to um, Lucy Watson, um, who said to me last night that she uh, she's a avid listener to the podcast and that she said I've got to confess that some of my favourite bits are the food and drink stuff. So oh, that's you know, great. For thank everyone who says stick to the <laughs> yeah, racing, yeah, know your on. job. <laughs> yeah. This one's this this, this one's for all the Lucy's out there. Um Simon, thank you very much. My pleasure, absolute pleasure. Cheers, Simon. All right, and now with today's whirlpool update, here's Jamie Hart. Hello Nick. Yes, it's another whirlpool
7: day. So plenty of chances there to get great value betting through the tote into these big whirlpools where people are betting from Hong Kong, Australia, America, all over the world. Um, yesterday, plenty of value to be had. The the exact, I think, beat the forecast on every race except one. The trifectas all beat the tricasts, so there's loads there. Uh, one thing I have been asked to talk about are the, are the different terms, because, of course... We run the whirlpool on the hong kong jockey club terms so people have heard there's less places in some races now that is true for for hong kong where there's over 21 runners they pay four places it doesn't matter whether it's a, a handicap or a, a non-handicap but uh, for up to 20 runners then it's three places for those bigger handicaps but york races today if you go to the races york you get the best of both so you will be played paid the fourth place in all those Big handicaps and as well as that you get four places in the sales race of course because there are more than 20 runners in that so you get the best of both worlds and of course you always get paid uh, at least sp the value today looking through the early markets um, particularly in the big race Save the last dance, they're really backing that internationally. That's showing about five to four on the whirlpool at the moment, and it's five to one in the UK. So it means everything else in that race is a big price. So looking at free win, Frankie De Torre, if he can win another Yorkshire Oaks, free win's about nine to two in the UK market, but early doors on the Whirlpool, it's paying ten to one. So do look out for those things where, where the world backs a horse exclusively to all the others, it means that every other runner in the race will be value. So that's where I'll be looking today.
0: All right, great stuff. Thanks, Daniil. Thanks to Jess, to Jamie, uh, to Richard, and of course, to Joe Foley. Lee Mottishead is still with me. And Lee, it is your time now to try and emulate Jane Mangan, who's selected continuous... For our pod listeners oh, yesterday, no, went no, off no. a whopping price as he well. It did go off a big price. Yeah. They went didn't off a big price as
2: well. Yeah, bizarre. Um, I Nick, I'm going to be ambitious and go in the three o'clock. The clipper I like one handicapped. Well, the one I like is down towards the bottom of the weights. Number 19, Master Richard, trained by Duffy, ridden by Shee Murphy, uh, goes well at uh, your couple of wins here. He's got a decent oh, draw on... Oh, the...
0: there's a needle match here, isn't there? Go on, go on, go on. Well, am I not right in thinking that Master Richard yeah. was awarded a race at this festival last year yeah. uh, because Anne Duffield took it to appeal and got it in appeal in London and the horse that... Was um, demoted was none other than number eight in this race. Point Linus, and is that the one that you like? No, I ah. don't. But, I, but isn't uh-huh. isn't that isn't that that will be the grudge match again? Because there was quite a bit of ill feeling about that at the time, if I remember rightly. Uh, okay, well, hopefully they've they've made friends. I like so. Orban who was very unlucky. I the was, race I was,
2: year. I was looking at Orban this morning, but you ran a bad race on Sunday, didn't he? At
0: Sandown, uh, I didn't think he got the clearest of runs okay. I'm not sure. It's, I don't know. I, I, I thought he ran okay. Okay.
2: Well, if he wins, Nick, he's your choice. But he was my second choice. Okay. So uh, I'll, I'll take that. As I've a,
0: also, I've also got to apologise. I think I uh, did. Okay. I made a bit of a holic so that Stuart's inquiry yesterday. Go on. Well, on all the angles we had it, it you couldn't really, you couldn't really determine that the, the fourth place horse was the one that caused most of the interference. And I, I went quite big on, and, and Martin did as well to be fair, on the fact that we thought that the winner should be thrown out. I look back on that and realize we made a complete dog's breakfast of it. It happens sometimes, you just have to, you just have to move on. The majority I could have done with that drone footage. Ruby Walsh came yeah. over and he's like, well obviously, obviously it shouldn't have been thrown out. Did you not see the drone? I'm like, no, we didn't get the drone pictures.
2: Well, the majority of what you do is, is live broadcasting. The majority of what I do is typed onto a screen where I can always press backspace or delete, and I still make plenty of mistakes. If I make those and I have more wiggle room on the time front, you're more than allowed ha- However, I do
0: mistakes. still stand by my point that they should have called the inquiry quicker. Because yeah. it was a good, like, it yeah. was several minutes before it came out.
2: Yeah, and that's, that's a harder one to understand. Yeah. Anyway,
0: that's, uh, <laughs> that's another one for another day. Today is the per Yorkshire Oaks, Fantastic race. We heard from Roger Varian yesterday. Before we go, Lee, who wins it?
2: Uh, I think it's an intriguing contest. I would, I'm worried about the ground for say the Last Dance. Um, the long home Straight will help her to get the revs up, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to side with Rafe Beckett's Blue Stocking. All right, Rafe
0: Beckett's Blue Stocking for Lee. I hope you have another fabulous day, whether you're here on the Knavesmire or whether you're watching at home. We will be back to do it all over again tomorrow. Bye-bye.